Well, good morning, Grace Church. It is so good to see all of you here today. Tell somebody you're glad to see them in church on Sunday morning. Amen. And those joining us on Facebook Live and live stream, so glad you've chosen to be part of the service today. God bless you. God bless you. As we begin this morning, um, just want to remind you of a couple of things upcoming. Don't forget Tuesday morning prayer this Tuesday right here in the sanctuary at 10 o'clock. If you can come, come help us pray and you will be blessed. And then um, next Saturday is a, uh, another chance to vote. We, we, you know, just lots and lots of opportunities to go out and vote. So uh, go vote next Saturday. Don't forget another election, runoff election next Saturday. Make a note of that. Vote prayerfully. Pray about that. Think about that and the issues facing our country and our, our area here, state and city, and pray about that and let God lead you and vote. Vote your conscience. Amen. Amen. If you got it, say, I got it. Before we go into our worship set, uh, just for a moment, I want to uh, do a little uh, Pentecostal bragging, uh, humble bragging here. Uh, we're so proud of all of our students. I talked to you last Sunday a little bit about P7 Bible Clubs and what some of our students have done there. And, uh, and then uh, we've talked uh, a few times about Move the Mission and all the effort that was done. Uh, Many of our students raised $250 or more. A couple of them raised over $1,000 for Move the Mission. And what I love about it is their enthusiasm, their heart for it. Um, it's, it's not just something that they feel obligated to do. They're passionate about it. And I love that. Um, the United Pentecostal Church International, in, a, in an effort to motivate the kids and keep them excited and keep them passionate, uh, has implemented several years ago uh, something called the Real McCoy Contest. That's an interesting name, I guess, Real McCoy Contest, but that's what they call it. And uh, to become a Real McCoy, uh, at base level, you raise $250 for Move the Mission, and that gets you a couple of things, uh, some T-shirts, some, some reserved seating at camp, I believe, and different things. And then at $1,000, you raise $1,000 for Move the Mission. There's another level of perks but then there's like the ultimate level of, of Real McCoy. Uh, if you, if you um, are one of the top fundraisers in the state and, um, and then they look at some other things, some other selection criteria that I'm going to tell you here in just a minute, you can go as a Real McCoy representing your state to St. Louis uh, with all the other Real McCoys from all over the nation for a Real McCoy weekend. When you get to St. Louis at the Real McCoy weekend, they, they put on the Ritz. You know, they take good care of you. It's a lot of fun. They go do, uh, do a lot of fun activities, a lot of food and fellowship, and they, they just do it, do it right and reward these students, from one from every state. We are astounded and impressed and excited and whatever, proud, amazing, just honored to tell you that our very own Hadley Coley was chosen to represent the state of Louisiana. Hadley, come up here. Come on up. Come on up real quick. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hadley raised over $5,200 for Move the Mission. Yes, she did. So they looked at that. She was the top fundraiser in the, in the state. 
They look at church involvement. They look at character, district involvement, attending camps and rallies and all those things. And, um, and, and, and so they make their selection on all those, all those criteria. How awesome is it that Hadley, right here from Grace Church, was the one chosen to represent the state of Louisiana? Hadley, we're proud of you. You've represented us well, and God's got great things for you, babe. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Hey, our students are doing great things. Our families are doing great things. God's doing great things through Grace Church. Aren't you happy to be part of Grace Church? Amen. And let me just say, we're going we're gonna to go to worship. I'm going to quit. But let me just say, Hadley worked so hard, and so much of that was self-generated. Obviously, at her age, her mother, her grandmother helped facilitate a lot of her ideas and implement those things. But they were born out of her heart. They were born out of her burden, out of her uh, desire and passion. So she has a heart for mission. She has a heart for the kingdom of God. And I love that. I believe in that. And I know you do too. Stand with me, if you will, this morning. I believe God's going to do great things in our church today. I believe he's going to do great things for you. Look at your neighbor and say, God's got something for you. Let's worship the Lord. Praise team. God bless you. There's no shadow that has ever overcome your life. And there is no rival that could ever stand against your mind. You've always been with us. Every battle you've already won. You've already won. There is no weapon that has ever left a mark on you. There is no
will turn into grace. Shake off despair as I sing out your name. A victory dance, I will dance out in faith. I will crush disappointment and break every fall of my fear. Fall of my fear, I will turn into shake off despair. You are love, you bring love. 
especially our guest. We're so glad you came to be with us in service today. Thank you for coming. And uh, I'm just happy to say you're always welcome to Grace Church. You're always welcome. People watching live stream, Facebook Live, so glad to have you uh, a part of our service today here as well. And uh, Miss Hadley, we salute you uh, for your great, great accomplishment. What I don't understand is a go ahead, give her some appreciation. That's right. I don't understand a real McCoy. So if there's a real McCoy, there must be a fake one, which is the essence of the word. But I'm glad she's a real one. If you're going to be a McCoy, be a real one. That's right. Be it with all your heart. We salute you, Hadley. Great job. Thank you for job well done. Absolutely. In light of or against the backdrop of what we've been teaching on Wednesday night uh, about Bible prophecy, uh, we plan to resume that this coming Wednesday night. And I'd like to talk to you, Lord willing, about the rapture uh, this coming Wednesday night. Invite some friends out with you. Please let them know about live stream and you go back and watch it later. But would you first invite them to church? Somebody told me here recently, well, I encourage somebody to go, my friend, go watch it on, on the, the podcast or whatever. I appreciate that. It sure be better if you could get them out to service with you. So remember that for Wednesday night. Uh, we'll be talking about the rapture. And uh, so in light of that, I don't think we should be afraid of Bible prophecy. If your heart was right with God, you should look forward to the fulfillment of prophecy and only get you that much closer to that golden city. Thank the Lord. So in light of that, uh, of our prophecy teaching and what have you, I want to call your attention today to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 verse 1, he said... Keep in mind, he was the beloved disciple of Jesus. Uh, he loved Jesus, loved the kingdom, uh, tremendous disciple, tremendous apostle. The only one that was not martyred uh, was the writer of the revelation of Jesus Christ. We call it the book of Revelation. First John chapter 5, verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loves him that begat loves him also that is begotten of him. By this we know, pardon me, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. If you love God, you're going to love his people. And if you love God, you'll keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. For whosoever, for whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning to be 
an overcomer. To be an overcomer. Say thank God for the word. Thank you so much and you may be seated. This passage brings home to us some very important encouragement to those who are the saints of God. It is to those that have been born again of water and spirit and live committed, who live committed, who live committed, born again, Bible-centered lives. It's those that walk in faith and obedience to the teaching of the Word of God. This is the person that John is describing in our scripture passage. The child of God literally is an overcomer upon being born again. And this needs to be reiterated consistently and we do our best to do that. The world and the devil, the world and the devil hate what a true child of God stands for. And we've never seen that more prevalent, at least in our American culture, as we have in the past uh, 10 plus 20 years. The word Christian was initially used by pagans in a very derisive term, but when one looks at the Bible concerning what a Christian is, it opens up a whole new window of understanding of where our place in God really is. Let me tell you today, according to Bible chapter, verse, etc., who and what the people of God are. We're believers, we're Christians, children of God, children of light, children of promise, sons of the day, sons of the kingdom, friends of Jesus. We're brethren, we're sheep, we're saints, we're soldiers, we're witnesses, we're stewards, we're fellow citizens, we're the light of the world, we're the elect, the chosen, the called, ambassadors of Christ, heirs, branches in the vine, members of the body of Christ, living stones, the beloved of God, the sons of Abraham, disciples, servants of Christ, the godly, the people of God, a royal priesthood, the salt of the earth, vessels for honor, the righteous, and members of the household of faith. I'm thankful today to be a child of God. I said, I'm thankful today to be a child of God. A child of God is triumphant and persevering. Every struggle, the overcomer, the, every struggle the child of God has, battles, is not always of his own making. Mostly it's a sinister plot of the devil to thwart and discourage at every point, every point along the way as we develop our relationship with God. The greatest level of spiritual warfare is entirely aimed at the mind in hopes that the devil can skew the thinking which affects a child of God in making decisions concerning spiritual matters. But in the end, a true child of God, a true saint of God will be an overcomer. An overcomer is one who does not belong to this world. John struggled with the mindset of those in his time to whom he was writing. He was writing because they could not relate to these ideas 
and principles of being someone who did not belong to this world. The people he was writing to in his epistle lived under the confined thinking of the Greeks that could not grasp the idea of being an overcomer. And Greek mythology, you all have heard of it. In Greek mythology, the villains were always larger than life and bigger than any act or conduct of good. The Greeks believed that nothing human could be an overcomer. It was only the gods who could overcome. And even some of them, according to the Greeks, was not always so grand. So when John insists that a saint has overcome the evil one, when he insists that a child of God has overcome the evil one, has overcome the law and death and judgment and the grave and ignorance and the world, it was difficult for some of those folks he was writing to to grasp such a concept. And so also it is for some of us. When John insists that a saint is an overcomer, he meant what he said. He wasn't trying to hype them up. He wasn't just trying to get them on some kind of a high. He was teaching and preaching to them the Word of God and the power that a person has when you're filled up with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Even presently, all of these things still exist. All the things that they warred against, we war against. All of these things still exist. But I submit to you today that we can overcome them because of the inherent infilling of the power of the Holy Ghost. Jesus meant what he said when he said, And you shall be filled with power after that the Spirit of the Lord is come upon you. Amen. Amen. So there are marks of an overcomer. As I present this part of this presentation, see how it applies to your life. John embarks in this passage that I read to you to show the attributes, the fruit, what a person manifests if they are an overcomer. A couple of words that might be used interchangeably with overcomers is victor or a winner. The Greek word for overcomer appears frequently in the writings of John. In the New Testament, this word that means overcomer is used 28 times. John used that word 24 times of those 28. He meant and believed that you could be an overcomer when you're filled with the power of God. And if there was an overcomer, it was John. How many times did he escape execution, persecution, and all oh, the amazing relationship he had with God as a result of it? Thayer's lexicon gives the following definition to the word overcomer. It means to conquer, to carry off the victory, or to come off victorious. You're in a battle, you fight, and you win. The enemy loses. There's a lot of people, we don't always understand it this way, and we don't realize it this way, 
But there's a lot of people sitting in front of me right now that beat the tar out of the devil this week. There's people here today that were tempted that didn't fall to it. There were people that could have opportunities to be everything but a Christian, but you didn't submit to that. You fought a battle in your mind and did the right thing. So today you win and the devil loses. Amen. Oh, yes. So of Christ, it indicates that he, first and foremost, is and has been victorious over all of his foes. Everything that Jesus went to in his three and a half years of ministry and even his 33 and a half years of living on this planet, he never lost a battle. If anybody is qualified to be considered an overcomer, it is our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So of Christ, he was victorious over every foe. Of Christian people, it means that they hold fast their faith, even unto death, against the power of their foes, against temptation, and against persecution. In our times... There's a very popular athletic brand. It's called Nike. Nike has brought into its meaning the concept and principle of victory. The Grecians had a goddess named Nike who aided Zeus in his battle against the Titans. So the Greek god Zeus was not powerful enough in and of himself. He had to recruit another god, goddess, to help him win the battle over the Titans. I don't read anywhere in Scripture where our God had to call in reinforcement for anything. God has never faced a foe that he could not defeat just by the power of his word. He never had to roll up his shirt sleeves. He never had to throw a punch. All he had to do was speak. And when he spoke, the devils trembled and fled at the power of his voice. I'm glad I know Jesus today. Everybody clap your hand to the Lord. So consider against that backdrop of Zeus and Nike that John was taking a term that was frequently used in pagan background to give the saints of his time the idea that they were literally invincible because of their work of the Spirit of God in their lives. In my Sunday school class this morning, I mentioned a, a very profound fact in the Old Testament that, to be honest with you, I'd never considered before until this past week in preparing for that class. When the children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness that 40 years, y'all remember that? You remember when they camped around the tabernacle? Their tent flap faced either the front, side, or rear of the tabernacle. First thing they saw in the morning was a tabernacle. The last thing they saw at night was a tabernacle. That's where their tent flap pointed. They lived 40 years in the wilderness with their back to any and every enemy that could have attacked them. 
Can you answer for me why they were not afraid? Because Moses was a strong leader. Didn't have anything to do with Moses. They had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And as long as they kept their eye on that, there was not an enemy anywhere on this planet that could even take them by surprise. That's what this concept that I'm preaching is here today. You don't have to face off the devil and fight him. Just keep your back to him. When the Bible says resist the devil, it's just turning your back on him. He can't get to you. Is somebody not hearing me today. People love to testify how I fought the devil. Don't fight the devil. Turn your back on him and keep your eye on Jesus. And Jesus will fight that battle. I want to be an overcomer today. I said I want to be an overcomer today. And I want to say in passing, maybe the reason the power of God is not so manifested in your life as you think it should be or hope it will be, maybe you're turning your back on God too much. Because to face the devil, you have to turn your back on God. I'm sorry, did I say something that was a little too real here today? Jesus made that, that amazing statement. For all of our comfort, for all of our reassurance, for all of our daily living, for everything we go through, everything. Because of this statement, you can always keep your face towards God and always have your back to the devil with no fear with no worry, with no anxiety. Jesus said, and John wrote the words, go figure. John 16, 33, he recorded Jesus saying, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome. I have conquered the entire world, everything in it. There is nothing that I didn't face. And everything I faced, I overcame it because I am all-powerful. I am almighty. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last. I'm which is and which was and is to come. I am God almighty. So everybody here today, be of good cheer. Sister Murph and I have had a conversation over the past several years. I'm not going to give you the context. It's not important right now, but we've had a conversation about what it must be like to face death head on. Even Brother Tenney said, I'm not afraid of dying. I just, I'm afraid of the process. It's kind of scary to know that your heart has stopped beating and your lungs have quit breathing. That's kind of a thing that gets people a little concerned. You understand that. We have an inherent desire on the inside of us to want to live. We know that Jesus overcame sin. He was, he never sinned. He never gave in to temptation. He never gave in to any of that. As a man, he never gave in to any of that. He cast the devil out and took all the work out of it. 
Even when he was being tempted of the devil in the wilderness, I didn't read where they had a wrestling match. And the devil got him down two or three times and almost choked him out. He almost tapped out two or three times. I don't read that. He conversed with the devil. The devil would talk to him and he'd talk back. And he used the word of God as a defense. So the devil really didn't bother Jesus. Where you find his greatest struggle was when it came time for him to die. It's not easy as a human to give up heartbeats and blood pumping and lungs breathing and what have you. I think we all have a fear of death. And that's why the New Testament, to me, put such a priority on addressing it. Oh, death, where is thy sting? And even Jesus looked death in the eye, gave up the ghost, and even had death puzzled as to A, how he would resurrect, B, when. Jesus died when he wanted to, and he resurrected when he wanted to. I saw an article, I'm going to digress for a moment, and I don't want don't to keep you, but uh, I've been asked the question two or three times, is it a sin to be cremated? Some people do it for financial reasons, a lot of people elect to be cremated. I heard a, a preacher friend said one time years ago, that I don't necessarily want to be cremated. Just the thought of that is horrifying. Um, especially if you're not right with God, you get a prelude to where you're going. Uh, he said, I absolutely don't want to be cremated, but I want to be in bond. I want them to take the blood out of my body. That way I can be sure I'm dead. I don't want to be buried and a week later come back to life and it's pitch black and I'm under six feet under and I can't get out. That's terrifying to me. And I'm like, I don't think they'll bury you if you're not dead. <laughs> they'll figure it out one way or the other. But even in the face of death, Jesus said, don't worry about it. I got this. Uh, I watched somebody online here a while back that talked about how it's so wrong and sinful to be cremated because at resurrection, and a lot of people believe this, that if you don't have a body, you can't be resurrected. Well, what about the people that died like 2,000 years ago? I mean, they were kind of cremated. It just took a while. Their, their body went back to dust. That cremation is microwave your body decaying on a microwave level, right? But the normal process, putting it in the oven, the grave for however many years, I don't care what kind of embalming fluid they use, after a while, as beautiful as your casket may be, when they put you in it, you're going to mess it up one day with all of your stuff as it begins to deteriorate. Don't tell me today. God ordained that the human body go back to dust. And he did it, I believe, in the face of the devil that said you can destroy them with death and I don't care how they, they deteriorate, I don't care how they fade away. When I am ready for them to be resurrected, I will cause their bones to come back together and I will cover, cause flesh to cover their body. And when they come out of the grave, they're not going to be ashes and bones here and there. I'm going to resurrect them, he said, out of their sleep. So, oh, death, where now is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I want to be an overcomer. So Jesus used this word overcome to speak of his own victory over the world, over Satan, over death. The saint of God can take great cheer in the fact 
that because the evil system has been overcome by our sweet Jesus, if we have his spirit on the inside of us, we also can overcome. I believe Jesus was perfect. I'm getting off my notes too much here, and this is going to get too lengthy. I'll cut it off if I need to. I'm not hearing anybody say, oh, preach on, Brother Murphy. So I know you hope that will happen too, so um, we're all good. Not the first time I've experienced such a response. We have such a great fear of these things. And Jesus took our greatest fear, wrapped up in the word death. And it just freaks the devil out that we have the ability to have God on the inside of us. But let me tell you what God did for us that he didn't do perhaps for himself when he was here in the form of a man. Grace is available to us. Jesus was required. I don't believe there was repentance available for Jesus. Had he messed up, had he got caught at a weak moment and failed, the redemptive plan was done. But God in his amazing kindness, even when he knew his spirit would be on the inside of us, because of our weaknesses, he knew it wouldn't quite be enough. So he said, you know what? When you receive my spirit, I'm going to let my grace accompany that. I'm going to let my grace accompany that. Y'all aren't, y'all aren't hearing me today. You're way, way too staring at me right now for some reason. I thank God for the grace of God. And I've often people, and, and Pentecostal, especially apostolic preachers, have had a propensity to teach, either implicit or explicit, that you have to be perfect if you're going to go in the rapture. I don't know how that's possible in human form to be absolutely perfect. And then we've been accused of claiming to be perfect. I don't believe there's anybody in here that claims to be perfect. Maybe some of you, is, some of you men are married to somebody that, anyway, we'll keep preaching. Uh, you need more grace than they do on occasions is what I'm saying here. Uh, but anyway, even the newlywed is wooing. There we go. Uh, he's already learned about the grace of the husband that comes from the gracious wife. Hallelujah to God for women full of grace. Maybe Mary, blessed art thou among women, Mary full of grace kind of thing. Maybe, maybe there's a precedent there that we never thought about. I'm rambling way too much. But God gave us, with his power, grace for even in those times that we fail. Paul took this concept of being an overcomer to even a greater level. He said in Romans 8, 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, But thanks be unto God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You look at Romans 8, 37, and in some way, in our terminology, Paul was stating that we've been made super conquerors. As though the word conqueror is not enough, you've been made more than conquerors. You're a super conqueror, is what I hear Paul saying today. And that's all possible through Jesus, he said, who loved us and gave his life for us. To what effect have we been made super 
conquerors. Let me give you a sampling of what that terminology means. Again, from Paul in Romans 8, 37. For he said, super conqueror, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Super conqueror. A super conqueror. I've lived long enough to see people, and excuse my expression, but I say it so you understand it. I've seen people go to hell and back in this life more than one time. Been put on them more than any burden, any burden anybody should have to bear. And they come out smelling like a rose. Why? Because they're super conquerors. It's interesting that he said, I'm persuaded that neither death. The first thing he mentioned was death. He went on to expound upon that point in 1 Corinthians 15, 54. He said, so when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, and this mortal shall I put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. I want you all to get that picture. It's this giant fish that sees a little bitty appetizer fish, and just in one chomp, he don't chew and chew and chew and swallow to struggle and need more water. Fish don't drink water anyway, but they don't need more water and all that. They just, oh, that's what I see in the scripture. That's what comes to my mind. That death is swallowed up in victory. So, oh, death, where is our sting? And, oh, grave, where is our victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is a law. But thanks be unto God, which gives us the victory. Much confidence in God and his power can be taken in understanding these simple passages. And even though it's simple, in a very straightforward way, the devil will do everything within his power to get us to doubt these great promises of God. And on a lot of people, it's worked. God can't help me. God can't help my marriage. God can't help my kids. God can't help me with this addiction. God can't help me with my desires for the world. God can't help. God can't help. God can't help. No, it's you don't have the ability to let God help you. The Bible associates our and compares, uses an example of our relationship with God. He uses marriage, and he also uses the parent-child relationship. I was just struck here a while back. Sister Murphy and I was this past week, actually. We were somewhere, and... Um, I watched a mother walk by me. I don't know who she was. We pulled up in the parking lot, and there was a little old bitty boy. He, he must have been about two. She said, do you want to take my hand? She asked him, walking across this parking lot, and I watched that little guy just take his hand and just, and I asked myself the question, is he holding her hand or is she holding his hand? Because I have seen kids, and I've experienced it with my own, when I tell them, we're in a risky place, hold my hand, and they don't want to, and they keep pulling it back, pulling it back, okay? To me, that's where there's a difference between you holding God's hand, willingly, and understanding the wisdom of it, or God struggling 
to hold on with to you with all he's got. There's a big difference between the two. If you want to be an overcomer, you're going to have to lift up that hand and say, God, take it. And I'll go anywhere you want me to go and I'll do whatever you want me to do. Your commandments are not grievous. Your commandments are not grievous. Lead me to where I need to go. Show me the way I need to go. I'll submit to your plan. I'll submit to your word. I'll do everything, God, you want me to do. Everybody stand. And let's give the Lord some praise here today. Everybody stand. Well, I literally made it through my introduction. Literally. But the overcomer, the attributes of an overcomer is one who believes. And I'm not talking about this, yes, I believe in Jesus. You show it. Every day of your life, your belief in Jesus is manifested. John said, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Don't tell me you believe in him when you can't overcome the world. If you did, you wouldn't be struggling with the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So a believer, an overcomer, is one who believes. So when you are an overcomer, you understand that even if disease takes you out, you're still going to win in the resurrection. But an overcomer, one thing we must have victory over is the world because the world is full of suffering and disease and corruption and death and hate and bitterness and immorality and wickedness and drunkenness and envy and murder and war and arguments and backbiters and pride and arrogance and pain and hurt and selfishness and greed and the list goes on. Let me conclude by sharing this with you today. If you are an overcomer, it means that God gives the believer victory over all trials and all temptations of life. It means that God gives the believer victory over all the forces and difficulty of life. It means that God gives the believer victory over sin. It means that God gives the believer victory over death. It means that God gives the believer over gives the believer victory over judgment. It means that God gives the believer victory over fear and despair and and things that, and then fills him up with love and joy and peace and so on. It means that God gives a believer victory over Satan and all other spiritual forces. So to be an overcomer, one must believe. To be an overcomer, one must love the Lord. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. third point, not only do you believe, not only do you love, but the true sign of an overcomer is one who obeys. For this is the love of God, John said, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. I've heard people say it for years, it's just too hard all this stuff God requires and expects and all that. To me, it's not any harder to love God than it is your spouse. To 
As a matter of fact, it's easier to love God. It's not harder to love God than it is your children. If you love your children, you should be able to love God. Raising kids can be grievous. Being married can be grievous. It's a part of it. But Jesus said, when you're married to me, when I'm your father, I will never ask you to do anything that you can't do. I won't put more on you than you can bear. I believe we're living in the last days. I don't believe it's going to be long that we'll hear the trumpet and the rapture take place. The media will explain all that away. But I'm going to tell you who's going in the rapture according to the word of God. And I didn't finish my message today. But according to the word of God, it's the overcomer people that believes, the people that love, the people that obey. Those are the three main manifestations of a believer, of an overcomer. If you lack in any one of those three, it's going to be imperative that you get that worked out between you and God before the trumpet sounds. I want to be an overcomer today. Am I going to be perfect? No. The grace of God covers that. But I'm going to do my best to not be deliberately imperfect. I'm not going to plot and plan to be imperfect this coming year. I want to be everything God wants me to be to the very last one. I've had two experiences in my ministry, in the life of my ministry. I've experienced two things, I should say. One is to stand at the side of a casket I knew that person, not that I'm a judge or the judge, but something just told you on the inside that if anybody ever makes it to heaven, it's that person right here. The only one I'm talking about is that sweet child of God that just fought it out, gutted it out, never wavered in their faith, never wavered in their love for God, and never wavered in obedience. And it just makes you feel good to know they're shouting and rejoicing somewhere presence of God and I've had that other experience people never darken the church door never read the word of God never prayed I know their family likes to say well they're in heaven with God but I, I don't find scripture for that I'm not trying to judge and I wonder if you could bring them back would they find God's commandments to be too grievous the hardest part is when you stand at the side of a casket of a backslider and I've done it stood at the stood at a funeral and preached a few where that person turned their back on God I was thinking right now of a man who attended our church in Baker he would come to the front and cry and sob and talk in tongues and literally go home the following week and beat his wife come back the next Sunday and do it again never could get that worked out when I preached his funeral a number of years ago I had to ask myself and even ask God didn't get an answer where is he now had a family member pass away a few years ago I'm not going to be any more specific than that I was actually in the shower crying, sobbing, because
knows that family member was born and raised in church. Services just like this one. Died never making his calling and election sure. He stood in the shower and sobbed and asked God, where is he? Where is he now? Folks, we don't have a lot of time. And I don't mean to close this on such a morbid note. I don't mean to. But there's people here today that think you're okay. I believe there's people here today that's literally been blinded. You think you're okay. You you live in transgression of the scripture every day of your life. You know who you are. It's not well with you. The trumpet sounds in the next few days, and it might. It very possibly could. You're going to be left walking around here with all of your family gone. The church is gone. too hard to live the life of an overcomer. It won't be then. You'll give everything you want to rewind time just a few days to take you back to a service like this one. You'll give everything you've got. As I open this sermon today with the statement that we shouldn't be afraid of these things if you're an overcomer, but if you're not one, it should scare the living daylights out of you as to what's ahead say, well, I'll, I'll get saved during the tribulation. I don't know how. Church won't be here. I don't see the plan of salvation anywhere in the book of Revelation. Revelation 6 through 19. Please don't make it. So I want to encourage somebody here today to think about these things. You can be an overcomer. It's not that hard. If I can do it, anybody can do it. People here today, if they can live for God like their scripture teaches them, not like you feel like it, not what you think is right, what the scripture teaches. The book's going to be open, and one of them is the Bible. It's what you'll be judged against. There's people here today that we're, we're, we're making it. We're making it as an overcomer. Why don't you come and join that throng of people that's going to sing with those that have heard well done? Why don't you come be? part of that. Your kids want to. Your kids would like to be a part of that. Why don't you lead the way? Why don't you show them the way yourself? I'll say this and I'll close. I know a grandmother today that was born and raised in church and her and her husband walked away from God a long time ago, many years ago. They lived long enough to see their granddaughter pray through the Holy Ghost and the granddaughter asked them, if y'all knew all of this, why didn't you tell me about it? sobering statement for your kids to ask you one day your grandkids to ask you why don't you change that today I'm asking you to consider where you're living if you if you know you're not living in accordance with what the word of God teaches you're not going to make it you're not God's believing the grace of God but it don't go that far you're not going to live like you want to live and then be raptured and live all hunky dory with Jesus for eternity it's not going to work that way like this, but my heart is so heavy right now and I know where we're living I know where we are so as they begin to sing and play as we do, why don't you come with everybody and say God things are going to start changing in my life for the better I'm, I'm just, I'm going to do it, I'm going to buckle down God, I'm going to live for you I'm going to do what you want me to do I'm going to be what you want me to be
Come talk to him. Show your kids the way. You show them the way. Come show them how to pray. Come show them how to get right with God. Come be an overcomer. I've seen the faith. Come be an overcomer today. Come be an overcomer. Still inside the storm. Come on, Grace Church, would you help me today? Would everybody pray? Would everybody pray? Talk to the Lord today. God, I want to draw. I want to draw closer to you. God, I want to draw closer to you. see your kingdom first. Beyond the barren place. Beyond the ocean Would you give your heart to the Lord today? When I walk through the water, I won't be overcome. Take advantage of this moment. Take it. 